Hello everybody, welcome to a new episode. Uh, today we're talking with Michelle, uh, which is the head of the career advising at 80,000 Hours. And she also previously ran Giving What We Can, and she also worked at Global Priorities Institute. Um, so for those who have been listening to this, or maybe this is your first time, uh, she has had like a really long career within effective altruism, which we have been talking a lot about on this podcast uh, so far. Um, and many people have mentioned 80,000 hours as something like really good and which have helped them and so on. Uh, but I never had anybody from 80,000 hours here. So that's amazing. Um, so again, I just want to say thank you to Michelle and thanks to everybody who is watching or listening. Right now, while I'm filming this intro, I'm at a conference, an animal rights conference, but where me and Michelle uh, met was at an effective altruism conference. So uh, yeah, that's pretty fun. Um, I hope everybody will have a nice day and enjoy the episode. So this is me and Michelle. Awesome. Okay. Uh, hi, Michelle. Hey, nice to be here. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for taking the time uh, to be here Likewise. with me. Amazing. Um, okay, so um, I kind of told you on the way here, but I just want to mention, mention it here as, as well, that when doing this podcast, like there are so many people who have like mentioned uh, 80,000 hours, um, but I haven't really got in depth on like what is actually 80,000 hours and so on. Um, we've heard a lot of people that it have helped them, but so yeah, I really appreciate that you're taking the time to be here. Um, so yeah, should we start there? Like, Sounds great. Amazing. Yeah. It's so nice to hear that lots of people feel like we've been helpful for them. 80,000 Hours basically is an organization that tries to figure out how people can use their careers to help others as much as possible. So we do the research to figure out what kinds of world problems seem most important to work on. Um, and then we figure out what it looks like to make a career in those areas and actually make a, a significant difference throughout your life. Amazing. And uh, like which different ways uh, do you work? Yeah, so we've got um, the initial um, research, which is published on our website, which is kind of aimed at anyone who's starting to get interested in these kinds of areas. We also run a podcast. They're pretty long. They're like four hour episodes each <laughs> run by our head of research, Rob Weblin. Mm. And he talks to people working in the areas to give people more of a sense of, of what's going on in each of them and what the current up to date things are in each of the fields. Mm. Then we also have um, a one-to-one -one advising service. So once someone's been reading our content for a while and has a goodish sense of the lay of the land and some sense of what they might want to do, they'll often get in touch with our team and we'll chat to them individually about how they might be able to get involved in, in um, a particular thing. Exactly. And, and that's the... One-to-one um, uh, -one coaching? That's the one-to-one -one coaching, yeah. And then we have a job board as well, which um, we try hard to look across many different industries and areas. And, and um, also we, we try to make it um, globally available, although most of our jobs are based in the English-speaking world. Um, and the idea is that someone can go from really starting out learning the types of ideas that we're thinking about all the way through to really applying it in their own career and applying for specific jobs. Exactly. Amazing. And that's Maria, I think, which is curating that right now. Yeah. Yeah. It's Maria so. Beckley. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. She's also, yeah, like we know each other from like, you know, right? So mm -hmm. that's mm -hmm. amazing. And also the podcast, I can really recommend that. Like, yeah, I, I listen to that a lot and so on, which has also been some of the um, 
like most inspiring podcast for me to start this. So uh, yeah, I didn't think about that kind of, but uh, thank you, I guess. That's great. Yeah, I really enjoy listening to, I mean, I enjoy listening to Rob anytime, but yeah. particularly on, on the podcast, he's excellent at asking um, particularly incisive questions of the mm. guests and going a bit further than they often go in interviews to really get a sense of specifically, what does it look like to work in this field so that you can imagine yeah. yourself in it and see whether it's a fit for you? Yeah, that's really good. Um, and then I'm wondering, like, what are maybe like some of the uh, like typical questions that you will get in like the one to one career coaching? It's a really wide range, to be honest, which I think is one of the uh, benefits of talking to people one on one. So mm. we have um, people anywhere from we occasionally talk to high school students who are considering where to apply to university, right through to people who are basically retiring from their main job at, say, 60 and are figuring out, OK, well, now I still have a whole bunch of time ahead of me, but I no longer need to make money. How do I use my labor for the best? And then within mm. that range, people are at a very, very different stages of what kinds of things they want to do and very different inclinations. So we'll get people who just sold their startup and are keen to, to do another startup and wondering what that startup should be on. And researchers who have done a PhD and a postdoc and are thinking that maybe they want to leave academia, but everything they've known so far is academia. So yeah. we get a, a really wide range of questions. Um, but often one of the things that ties it together is people who are thinking of making some switch and know quite a bit about their area, maybe academia, um, maybe, you know, they've done a degree so far. And so they know quite a bit about their particular subject, but not that much about other things. And they're coming to us because they're interested in how to weigh up quite a variety of different things and what the mm. kind of first steps might be for going into those things. Exactly. And, and who can apply for this? And like, what are like criteria or like, yeah. Yeah, anyone can apply. So like I said, we have a pretty wide age range, although the the people that we most often talk to probably are like late 20s-ish so with some um, uh, work experience. Um, the types of people that we're most helpful for are people who have a similar kind of understanding of what it means to help others to what we do, because our research is all into um, specific problems and how people can actually contribute to those problems and what careers and specific jobs will make a difference there. Um, and our basic understanding of what it means to help others is over the very long run, how can we increase the well-being of sentient beings? Mm. Um, so some people might be more focused on how they can help people today. Some people might be more focused on increasing biodiversity, for example. Mm. We'll just have less of an understanding of what people could do to contribute to those areas. So um, it makes more sense for people to apply if they have a more similar understanding to mm. us. Um, and then we also list quite a, the few, quite a few of the types of jobs that we um, have looked into on mm. our website. So the more someone can see themselves doing those types of jobs, the more useful we're likely to be for them. Mm. We also tend to be um, giving people more kind of... Um, strategic advice about how to um, reframe their decision plus um, specific helps like putting them in touch with particular people in in particular fields so the more someone wants those kinds of uh, that kind of support the more helpful we're going to be whereas if someone's looking for more something like 
someone to look over their CV and make it look better. We're less good at that kind of thing because mm. our feeling is there's there's quite a few people out there helping people in general try to get jobs and, and look mm. good as a candidate. And we're more trying to fill the specific niche of if I want an impactful job, how should that particular thing affect my job search? And so we're going to be less good at the more kind of generic career advice. Mm. Um. And then maybe we can go a little bit deeper on like the job board. Um, mm -hmm. Like, um, so to be clear, that is like, yeah, a job board is basically like a list of like jobs that you can apply to. And like, I've seen it, I can always like visualize it in my head now. Um, so you can also like, uh, yeah, choose which like cause areas and which organizations you want to work in and so on. Uh, so then I wonder like, how do you choose which jobs are on that list, I guess? Yeah, it's a pretty difficult problem to figure out which mm. specific types of jobs should be on the list. The kind of um, high level aim behind it is we started with um, given the kinds of values we have and what we think it means to help others, what seem to be the biggest, most neglected problems. Um, so, for example, one one thing is um, biosecurity. As, as we saw with um, the COVID pandemic, the world just doesn't seem very well set up to deal with um, new pandemics arising. There wasn't the understanding of what um, personal protective equipment do we immediately need to have on hand? At what point should people lock down? That kind of thing. Um, with biotechnology advancing, it makes it even more likely we're going to um, have more pandemics in future. So mm. then the idea is, okay, well, biosecurity seems like potentially a, a big um, problem to contribute to. What kinds of things might you need to do in order to contribute to biosecurity? Well, you want to have governments acting in sensible ways. You need um, policymakers to have a good understanding of that. So you, you want some people working in government, say you want some people working in lobbying organizations. Also, you want scientists working on how do we get really rapid vaccine production? How do we get broad spectrum diagnostics so that we're keeping an eye on what new things are popping up? So that looks like, okay, we'll probably want um, people to be doing PhD programs in um, molecular biology. Probably you want. And so that kind of idea generation and then putting that into practice by saying, okay, so we now think that we'll, we'll need people who um, are having these types of government jobs. And so then we'll look at, say, the UK Health Security Agency and see what jobs are coming up there and what might, what might it be useful to have people working in in that agency. If someone's going to have a, a job there, probably they're going to need to be in this kind of PhD program. Okay, where where in the world are the those kinds of PhD programs? Um, okay, well, there's this like, you know, maybe there's the Center for Health Security at Johns Hopkins um, University in the States. Well, maybe we want to list some of their PhD programs so that people can get like, that's the wow. kind of thinking behind it. <laughs> yeah. um, and the way we've then operationalized that is mm. having a list of these kinds of agencies and companies and things. Um, and we just automatically track for a whole large group of organizations and agencies. Do they have vacancies coming up? And then we have a curator who looks through the ones that the system says, hey, these, these new jobs have come up and um, decides whether each of those do actually seem relevant enough to go on the board. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, that's complex. It's a whole and big. It's a, <laughs> it's a whole big job. Yes, yeah. our job board looks simple, but the back end is not so simple. <laughs> oh wow! Yeah, no, I yeah, I kind of didn't expect uh, that, but but 
oh, like you're really good in explaining like what if this then da 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 and like then you should yeah so thank you thank yeah you. cool and yeah so more um can i ask about like uh like how did you get where you are now uh, mm -hmm. because you've been doing a lot of different stuff in the ea movement like effective altruism movement and so on um but i'm not so sure like before that as well but like yeah like how, yeah, how, I have a pretty random background. Yeah, so how how has life for Michelle been? <laughs> yeah, I think I've been very lucky in my career and I've certainly, um, yeah, had a good time and, and feel like I've ended up in various roles that I feel have really contributed to problems that I care about. Um, and that's despite the fact that I was not at all strategic with my job search early on. So I started off doing physics and philosophy at university because um, I really wanted to understand the world. Mm. And I felt that physics was good for understanding the fundamentals of the universe and atoms and also planets and how the solar system and universe worked. And then philosophy was good for figuring out values and what really mattered in life. So that's why I originally chose it. Um, turned out I was not very good at physics. So I specialized in philosophy and ended yeah. up doing a master's and then a PhD in philosophy. Um, I really enjoyed my PhD, although I think that PhDs often don't actually end up uh, being useful. But the kind of um, guiding theme of my PhD was how we should compare um, creating new lives to extending and improving existing lives. And the reason that I wanted to do that was that a lot of the um, measurement tools that we currently have for trying to compare between different interventions for helping people, just can't really take into account how you should compare creating people. So there are these two measures called quality adjusted life years and disability adjusted life mm. years, which are used for comparing um, between things like this particular cancer cure, how much will that help people compared to this other um, uh, drug, which, um, say works on um, schistomiasis. Um, and those two have opposite things to say about how good or bad it is to bring a new life into existence. Um, so um, qualies basically will say, oh, if you bring a new person into existence, that's great. It's a whole bunch more quality adjusted life years. Uh, disability adjusted life years basically say that it's a bad thing because mm. um, it's the potential for a lot of sickness and, and death and um, uh, early life, like cutting off a, a life early. Mm. Um, and the reason is that um, we just haven't gotten very good at thinking through those kinds of choices yet. But in practice, policymakers do actually have to make these kinds of choices. So if they put money mm. into, say, early life childcare, that actually has an effect on the fertility rate. So if they mm. choose to put money into that rather than into, say, cancer drugs, it predictably has the effect of increasing the fertility rate in, in the country, but also leading to some people dying sooner than they mm. otherwise would have. And right now we don't really have a way of dealing with that um and people aren't that agreed on how good is it to um bring more lives into existence and so i really wanted to think hard about my views on on that mm. um and i did in fact find that very helpful and i started off from a perspective of thinking that what i really cared about was the average level of well-being in the world mm -hmm. um and i ended up thinking that actually what I really cared about was their, their being sentient beings experiencing um, enjoyment and mm. not experiencing suffering. And that included the fact that I think um, it's important that people continue to be brought into existence. So I mm. think that um, something that ends 
the the whole human race and all other animals is actually terrible, not just because of the lives that it cuts short, but it's terrible because of all of the lives full of enjoyment that could come into existence over the coming billions of years that it would prevent from happening. Mm. Um, yeah, so th that has ended up forming a large part of my worldview and informing mm. what things I should do next. Um, mm. Also, my PhD was helpful because of the the networking, and I uh, during mm. that met um, Toby Ord and William McCaskill, who at the time were setting up an organization called Giving What We Can, mm. which encourages people to pledge to give ten percent of their income for the rest of their lives to the organization they think can most effectively use it to help others. Yeah. Um, and I felt particularly passionately about that because I had kind of come across arguments like from Peter Singer while I was at school that we are really incredibly well off and could be sharing that with others in the world. And then looked around me and saw that no one was doing it and assumed that I probably wouldn't either. And it was only when I came to university and met other people who were actually donating and, and um, putting their values into practice mm. that I realized I ought to too and started doing it. Nice. Um, and so I just feel great about um, giving what we can as yeah. a way of bringing people together and helping them live out their values. Mm. Um, so yeah, after, after I finished my PhD, I ran giving what we can for a while. Mm. And then when I finished running uh, Giving What We Can, um, I moved on to the Global Priorities Institute at Oxford. I'd already done some of the operational setup of the Center for Altruism. So I had some idea of what it looks like to set up an organization. Mm. Also, um, it was based in the philosophy department at Oxford University, which is where I did my PhD. So I had a good sense of that department and I was well mm. placed to do the setup of some um, new academic institute. And that sounded like an exciting, mm. uh, an exciting challenge to me. Mm. Um, and then I moved on to 80,000 hours. Wow. <laughs> Amazing. What a journey. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, I think I, I was very lucky to come across various of these opportunities mm. and have a lot of people around me um, coming up with all sorts of ideas for things to work on. I think the Global Priorities Institute, as I said, was a very interesting challenge. And I think it's it's doing very important work getting academics to think about some of the most fundamental questions and um, get quite detailed answers to what ought we to be doing mm. um, and not just doing the kind of quick pass, okay, what's the next step mm. types of thing. But I think I wouldn't have come up with the idea myself and certainly wouldn't have felt the affordance to just go for it and set something up. Mm. Um, whereas as it was, um, Will McCaskill, who I already knew pretty well, was um, uh, yeah was the one working at Oxford thinking, hey, we ought to have an institute here. Mm how about you're the one that sets it up um, and mm -hmm. having that kind of vote of confidence in the idea and in my ability to do it was what I really needed to actually get me working on it. So wow. I'm very pleased for the, the mm. colleagues I've had around me. Mm. That's beautiful. Mm. And uh, how would you, um, uh, like since we're talking about career advising and now your own career and so on, can I ask about like your like personal career, al almost like guidance to yourself at the moment? Like what what is your like plan? Um. So what I'm currently working on and how I'm expecting that to change, that type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So right now I run the one-on-one -on -one team at eighty thousand hours. Mm. Um. That mostly means people who are talking to individuals about their careers, thinking through how they can use their careers to, to help others. 
And my job for that is um, in large part hiring for the team, um, managing the team and thinking through how we should expand in future, ways we should change the service, that kind of thing. So over the last couple of years, that's mostly meant hiring people to do these one-on-ones, mm. um, which has um, been quite a challenge to keep up with demand because, um, yeah, we, we've had a lot of applications for, for our service, which is great. And we're now finally at the point where we seem to have um, – a good number of, of advisors to keep up with demand. And mm. so now the thing that I'm doing is thinking more through what should um, our next steps be as a team and mm. how how can we um, use the service that we're already doing to help people more. And I think one of, one of the things that we're going to do over the coming couple of years is think through how we can um, help organizations who are looking for candidates find the right candidates. So, so far mm. we've been talking to individuals about which places to apply to, but in doing that, we we come across a lot of people who are currently job seeking and would like to be put forward for particular roles. And we get a goodish sense of what kind of thing they might be well suited to. Mm. So I think um, the thing that we can expand into that would be really helpful is talking to the hiring managers at effective organizations as well and making it as easy as possible for them to actually find the the job seekers mm. amazing <laughs> thanks um and uh, we touched a little bit on, on it in the beginning uh, but maybe we could go a little bit deeper into like what are um like or is it possible to give like some uh, general like career advice uh, for people listening and watching mm-hmm. yeah so i think one thing that um is pretty hard to do is um, apply as broadly as is sensible. Um, I think different people obviously struggle with this to differing um, degrees, but there are just a lot of reasons why it's very aversive to apply for jobs. Maybe you um, feel just very averse to being turned down for a job. Maybe you don't have very much time and you feel you should give all the time you have to your current degree or your current job. And so you end up really pushing your time applying for jobs um, into tiny cracks. But um, I think often that leads people to, um, first of all, either systematically apply for things that are um, out of their reach. And so they end up um, making a few applications, being turned down, and then deciding they should stay where they are rather than continuing, or applying for things that are systematically too easy for them. Um, And so they they do, in fact, get somewhere, but it's not actually where they wanted to be. Mm. And I think, um, actually, it's pretty sensible in a job search to try to really span the spectrum of um, difficult to easy so that you get more of a sense of um, what actually is the best like reach option for me that I can get into um, but still have the safety net of having applied for some things that you'll definitely mm. get so I think that's one of the biggest things that um, I think it would be great if more people did and I think that there are various tools and tricks you can use to help yourself doing that. One of the things I find most useful um, for getting myself to do things that that are um, aversive is talking to other people about how to do it. Um, I find having a manager uh, extremely useful in in general, and I'm lucky enough that my manager is quite happy to help me with a, a fairly broad range of tasks, not necessarily only work related. And so um, I'll say, oh, I'm this this week. I'm aiming to get so and so done. Um, and first of all, he'll sometimes ask, like, oh, how you know what what do you think is going to be difficult about mm. that? Um, and if I say, oh, I think it's going to be difficult to actually get started on it, mm. he, um, he'll talk through with me. Okay, like, what's an easy way of getting started? 
started on it? Do you think that it's going to be easier if you do it at the beginning of the day before you get sucked into email or mm. do you think that type of thing? And then also just setting the intention with him and knowing that in a week's time, I'm going to be sat opposite him and he's going to say, did you do so-and-so? I find uh -huh. very useful. So I think a lot of people could stand to... Um, get an accountability buddy when applying for jobs. Because this is one yeah. of the difficult things as well, is you don't have a manager when you're talking about changing jobs. You specifically yeah. can't discuss it with your colleagues oftentimes. Mm. Um, and so I think it would be great to, ha to see more um, kind of systems in society of people um, finding other people in similar kinds of situations and saying to each other, hey, we're each going to try to apply for one thing this week and then we're going to check in with each other about how it went. And we're yeah. also going to ask each other, is there anything you can do to make it easier this week? Would it be easier if you decided to set aside two hours on a Saturday mm. and went to your favorite cafe? Would that be the kind of incentive you needed to, mm. that mm. kind of like helping each other to do these difficult things? I love that. That's really interesting. Huh. Like we're, um, I'm, I'm also running like uh, this like mental health organization uh, in Norway, and we're building this app um, where we hope to like help people um, like yeah live better. It, it, it's mm -hmm. bas basically just like gathering uh, where's like consensus around like what's best for you regarding like sleep and nutrition and movement and relationships and so nice. on. And we've been thinking about having like an accountability partner. Uh, I'm not sure if we will do it, but um, it sounds so good. Um, yeah. yeah, the difficulty obviously is getting people to follow through with it. Yeah. Um, you know, it's very hard when you don't know the person to mm. actually feel committed to talking to them every week. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we'll see how that goes. Yeah. <laughs> what other advice do you give to people? Yeah, so one other thing that I um, pretty often talk to people about is thinking about what problem in the world they think is most important to work on. I think that's something which traditional careers advice doesn't really tell people to do that much. Um, it maybe starts with what are you passionate about and then work on that, but it doesn't so much encourage people to really think through what are your values and on those values, what in the world is it most important to work on? But I think that actually can make a huge difference to how much you help others with your career. And I think um, there's kind of one way you can approach these types of things, which is something like what kinds of jobs seem pretty appealing and then like which of those are above some level of helpful to the world. So which ones are like at least helping people a bit. Um, and then there's a different approach you can take, which is think through what problems you think there are in the world that we should be working on. Think through what careers you think are most impactful um, and rank them and then go down the list from the top to find out which of these do I think I would be well suited to. And um, I think my impression is that um, you actually can make hugely more difference in the world if you're working on the most important problems um, than some of the problems that you might hear about most. Mm. And so actually, if you take the latter approach, you're quite likely to be able to help people far more in your career than if you take the former approach. Mm. Okay. <laughs> um, all right. So, and what other like uh, yeah like global priorities have you yourself worked with yeah so i've um worked a bit in global poverty initially when i was working um for giving what we can um and now at 8000 hours i'm working more with a whole range of problems because the people that we talk to are interested mm. in working on a whole range of problems 
um, I think the the thing that um, I found first really held me back from contributing to charities and um, and doing more like volunteering and making sure that my career helped people was not knowing where I should even start and feeling like there are just so many problems in the world. It's really overwhelming. And if I start doing something, it's probably not going to be the right kind of thing. And, mm. um, and so um, one thing that I found just very inspiring coming across um, the effective altruism movement was the idea that we actually can um, quantify things. We can just figure out which kinds of interventions seem more effective than others um, and use that as our starting point. Mm. And the the first kind of um, review of this that I read was the Disease Control Priorities Project, which tries to basically go through all of the different uh, diseases in the world and the kinds of ways that they're treated and figures out which are most cost-effective to treat. And it turns out there's just a huge difference between um, different types of interventions. Um, so if you start at kind of the threshold of how much it costs the NHS, like at, at the margin, what, what would the NHS consider um, well worth treating? Um, the answer is something like um, if £10,000 can buy you a whole year of extra healthy life for a patient, mm -hmm. then the NHS considers that worth funding. Um, What's that, the NHS again? Oh, sorry. The National Health Service in the UK. Cool. I forgot yeah. that we're not in the UK. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And that that seems like pretty lowballing to me. Like I would be uh, willing to spend decidedly more than that to extend my life. Mm. Um healthily by that amount because I'm lucky enough to be in a rich country. Mm. Um, but in fact, um, that's actually still decidedly a higher threshold than um, how much it costs to save a life in a developing country because um, in poorer countries, there there's just like far fewer people um, spending money to Mm. Uh, on on health interventions than there are in the UK where we're lucky enough to have a national health service. Mm. Um, so that was the the thing that kind of first got me thinking through these things systematically and realizing that um, I shouldn't just be throwing up my hands and saying there's so many problems in the world I mm. can't possibly solve them. I should in fact be specifically looking at um, w what are the types of interventions that we can do? How much do they cost? Which ones are? And so the thing that Giving We Can did was use these big data sets like the Disease Control Priorities Project, um, figure out which kinds of interventions were particularly impactful. So that one of the ones, for example, that um, we worked on uh, back 10 years ago or so was... Um, deworming tablets for children to uh, get rid of soiled um, uh, things like schistomiasis. Um, mm. And so first of all, we figured out which of the interventions seemed particularly impactful, then looked at what charities there were actually implementing those things. So for example, there's the schistomiasis control initiative based in London, um, which seemed to be implementing that particular intervention basically in the way that um, uh, the DCP had studied it um, and then donating to those organizations. Mm. Um, so that was how I first got into it. Wow. Um, yeah. That is mostly helping people alive today. So obviously mm -hmm. um, it has flow through effects. It makes um, areas healthier. It means that children can go to school and have generally better lives, which will 
end up being better for for those areas over the longer run mm. but it's less thinking um hundreds or thousands of years into the future yeah. and as i um was saying earlier i actually think that it really matters that we have um a long flourishing future mm. and so one of the things that i particularly care about is making sure that um humanity uh, doesn't go extinct. So mm -hmm. nowadays I'm thinking a bit more about um, what kinds of things could lead to that happening and how mm. we work to avoid that. Do you have, uh, like, can we go a little bit deeper in that? Mm -hmm. Like, uh, how does that look? Yeah. So um, do you mean what kinds of things might cause humanity to become extinct? Uh, yeah, just like we can touch a little bit on it. So um, because mm -hmm. I, I don't think uh, we've talked that much about like uh, long termism and so mm -hmm. on and uh, mm -hmm. existential threat yet on the podcast, but mm -hmm. it will come soon. But we can give like a little taste. Yeah. So I think one of the things um, which is a particular risk to us right now is um, uh, artificial intelligence and what that's going to look like um, in the future. I think it's currently very uncertain and I don't ha don't feel like I have at all a good understanding of what it might look like when we get um, transformative artificial intelligence. Um, all we currently know is that um, this tech is um, being developed surprisingly fast and I think over the next uh, at least 50-ish years is going to make a huge difference to how uh, humanity lives. I mm. think historically, it's not gone that well for a species when a new, more intelligent species develops. Um, mm. And I think the thing we're doing with artificial intelligence is kind of doing that. Um, I think you can claim that um, even having that narrative is kind of anthropomorphizing um, or like, yeah, is, is just like projecting what humans are like onto artificial intelligence. Mm -hmm. And we shouldn't even think of artificial intelligence as one thing, let alone like think of it as an agent. But I do think that the thing we're kind of staring into the face of in the future is a technology which is likely to be capable of doing most of the hardest things that humans can do and that we have a goodish sense of what it looks like to increase the data input into an artificial system and increase the compute power of an artificial system. Mm. So at the point where we can do the hardest tasks that humans can using artificial systems, we then have a goodish sense of what it's going to look like to speed up those systems or have multiple of them running in parallel. Mm. And so it does look a lot like now we just have something that's radically more powerful than humans. And should we expect that um, we'll be able to maintain control of it, that um, in general humans will use it to sensible ends and also that they'll be able to like make sure that it goes in a good direction rather than a bad direction. Exactly. And I feel like quite hopeful. Um, and in particular, mm -hmm. I feel hopeful that um, it could theoretically be just a really excellent thing. Like we could finally mm -hmm. eradicate the diseases that are totally unnecessary to yeah. exist. We could finally mm. become excellent at producing alternative proteins so that we no have no more factory farming ever. Mm. Um, but it could end up being a really bad thing. Um, mm. And at the moment, it seems to me that society is not that good at uh, f 
like understanding in advance what kinds of risks we mm. um, are tackling. And in general, there's a lot of monetary incentives to build these kinds of systems. And there are plenty of monetary incentives to get the systems doing what we want. Um, mm. But still, the majority of the money is going into making the systems more powerful rather than in making sure that they're totally safe. Mm. Um, and that seems kind of worrying to me for the future. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. That's really two very different types of futures. Yeah. yeah, I think it could be that that um, yeah, my my child's generation is going to see a really big change by comparison to anything that we lived through. You know, we mm. we uh, lived through getting the internet, um, and my parents lived through getting computers, mm. um, and each of those things were were you know quite a substantial change in our lives. But I think maybe my son is going to see way bigger changes in his life, and I just really want it to be. For the better rather than the worse. Mm. Yeah, same, same. Um, and um, I kind of wondered uh, because uh, myself, like, I have not had like, yeah, one to one uh, career advising in 8,000 hours, uh, but I did get it to like one to one uh, mentoring from like EA Norway, so Effective Altruism Norway. Um, and one of the things that I do is uh, like I feel I'm like really like all over the place, um, and I've met like several like pe people like in the movement who is like yeah basically all over the place, and then you yeah, have people who are like really specialized and so on. Um, do you like is that like a good or bad thing, or is that like do uh, I, I guess like people come with that types of questions as as well like should I specialize or should should I not like what do you think around that? Yeah, it is definitely a question that we get a lot. And I think um, uh, there is there are some types of traits that really lead people to both be high achievers and to do a large number of different things. So the kinds of people that just really want to learn and who notice opportunities in the world and who really mm. care about making sure they're making the most of opportunities. So they're often seeing a lot of different things they could do to help people and also they're, they're interested in pursuing those because they can learn more and mm. so I think there is quite a type of of person who does a lot of different things um and I'm also quite like that so I mostly work for 80,000 hours that's my my day job um and then alongside that um I'm a fund manager for the um effective altruism infrastructure fund which oh, nice. is a grant making body mm. um and yeah I really enjoy getting to um, test out a different skill and see what it's like working within a different organization with a kind of different culture and stuff mm. like that. Um, and I think whether people should um, really focus or not does depend a lot on the person. Some people get a lot out of doing a bunch of different things. I think probably um, we're more often in a position of um, thinking that it would be better for people to specialize than that it would be better for people to do a broader range of things because um, it's just quite difficult to do anything really well if you're mm. doing it with a small amount of time. Um, and oftentimes with um, projects, the real benefit can come after quite a long time. So yeah. 80,000 hours, for example, has been going for... Um, over 10 years now mm. and I think by comparison to some of the organizations um, which 
changed around what they were doing quite a lot over that period. It's done pretty well from having a solid mission and just continuing to build on that and just trying to get really excellent at the specific thing that it's doing. Mm. Um, so I think that's been very, ben I think the focus that 80,000 Hours has had, which is largely through our, our founder, Ben Todd, who was uh, a big advocate for focus, has been really beneficial for mm. us. So yeah, I think that's probably, on the other hand, um, I think that maybe is better advice for someone who is um, at least a little way into their career, because I think early on, you just don't have that good of a sense of what thing you're really good at, what thing you really enjoy. And mm. so um, particularly just out of university, I think it's more likely people make the opposite mistake of, of deciding to do a job and then um, wanting to make sure that they're doing well at that. And so staying in a particular job for say four years when actually they could have noticed a year and a half in that they mm. learned a bunch from it and should be moving on. So I think um, the extent to which it's a good idea to focus versus trying out lots of things is going depend a lot on on your life stage exactly huh. um and are there some questions which people don't ask which are kind of like this is also really important but like you don't think about that this maybe yeah so i think the thing um around what problem area to work on is um probably the biggest thing in this category where people mm. often come into career advising expecting the type of thing that we're going to talk about is um how to apply for a job and then we're mm. wanting to start at a much more kind of basic what are you really aiming towards level so i think that's the biggest thing that that um comes up i think another thing that um people don't do enough of, although it doesn't exactly fit in, into the thing you were saying, is ask people for help. I think mm. I've just um, been very pleasantly surprised over my career how much people are happy to help out with, you know, advice or support or whatever when asked. Um, from when I was setting up um, the Center for Effective Altruism, reaching out to people who are board members of charities and mm. buying them a coffee and asking them in a bunch of depth, hey, how did you find a lawyer? What does this thing mean? Mm. Like that type of stuff. Um, to when I was putting in a grant proposal for Global Priorities Institute, when I, I was working on an area of philosophy that I didn't have much experience in. And I wrote to, to some of the um, great philosophers in that area saying, hey, I've got this grant. Um, proposal on virtue ethics. And I don't know that much about virtue ethics. Would you mind looking over it? Um, and I, I basically wrote to like two or three of the um, best virtue ethicists um, I mm. think there are. And um, yeah, most of them wrote back, which was um, very exciting for me at the time because I wasn't sure if any of them yeah. would write back. Yeah. Um, and I think this this is just a, a thing around um, humans love helping each other mm. and um, they're going to be much more likely to help if they really understand why you're taking their time. So I think mm. it's worth investing in, is this the right person I'm writing to when mm. I'm writing the email, making sure that it's concise, making sure it's clear to them why they're the person that mm. um, is being asked and why you need help on this and making clear that, you know, you already read the basic stuff. You you did in fact try to get this from a book and it turns out that you in fact still need some um, specific help from, from a person. But I think once you do that, people are really willing to help. And I think that's something that people um, often neglect to do. So they don't necessarily ask about um, you know, what kinds of people might be willing to help me out in this kind of mm. thing because they don't want to impose on people. They yeah. don't want to like feel um, like they're, they're like, um, yeah, 
taking up people's time mm. or being vulnerable or whatever. But actually, people just love helping each other. Yeah. So I think that's really worth doing. Oh, yeah, I really love that. I have uh, also been like um, um, <laughs> posting like all kinds of stuff on like my Instagram story just to my like friends and followers and so on. Just like, hey, I need help with this random thing. And then my friends are like, why are you posting that? They're like, that's so weird that you're kind of like asking for help. Like, yeah. Uh, online but it's so many people who reach out who is like yeah i can help you like uh, all from like small things like i live in two cities in norway mm -hmm. so i need, need needed one time to just like get my house key <laughs> which was in bergen but i needed it in oslo and i was like oh man like yeah that's so bad um and then somebody was actually taking the train the other day so it's like nice can you meet my roomie one place and bring it to another place and also for setting up the organizations asking like hey uh, we need some more board members, basically. And, like, uh, yeah, we'd, like, really appreciate if somebody would, like, uh, join. And um, that's also how I, like, build up the organization in the beginning, thanks to just, like, asking out loud for help and so on. Um, but also with grants, especially. We have been doing a lot of uh, applications and so on. And uh, absolutely got rejected more time than uh, approved. Um, <laughs> but do, do you have any ad advice around that uh, since you're working in that space as well? Like when it comes to, like if somebody's going to apply, like what should they think about or, uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the one thing um, people um, often don't spend quite enough time thinking about is um, imagine that you are the the... Um, person deciding whether to give this grant, what information would you want to know? Mm. Um, because it's very easy to get into a position of um, uh, typical mind fallacying, like you know all about this project and the parts that you think are interesting are kind of the novel ones rather than mm. the basic ones, that kind of thing. So I think starting off from the position of, um, okay, if I was gonna decide what to, whether to give this grant, what would be the key things to know? How do I make sure that that's as easy to find in the application as possible? I think that would be the biggest thing. Um, hmm. I also um, find that um, I, as a grant maker, I'm not too fast about things sounding formal or necessarily being um, fully comprehensive. The thing I want to know is um, at a glance does this seem like a sensible project from mm. someone with a sensible track record and what would I need to do to get more information about the various things I might want information about because I think it's quite hard to, to forestall you know what is this particular grant maker going to be skeptical about what piece of the theory of change are they going to want more evidence about that kind of mm. thing and so making clear how they can get more information about that so so Maybe that looks like having links to longer documents um, if you already yeah. have those documents. Maybe it looks like flagging, hey, we've like thought a bit more about this and happy to elaborate in an interview. That kind of thing mm. I think often works pretty well because mm. um, I think one risk of being a grant making body is that you can uh, end up wasting a lot of people's time because they spend ages on an application making sure that they've really polished some section that actually you weren't skeptical about in the first place mm. so um, I think that's pretty good I also think it's often worth um, reaching out to grant making bodies before applying to ask a bit about um, their process I think if you're going to do that um, probably it's a good idea to have 
read their website pretty thoroughly, making sure that you're asking questions that aren't already available on there. Um, but in particular, the types of times you might want to do this is if you've, say, done like the half hour version of your application um, and you're saying like, hey, I've written this kind of thing. Does that seem comprehensive enough? D does it feel like it's not got enough detail and, and mm. I should elaborate that kind of thing? Um, because I think oftentimes um, uh, grant makers are going to be very happy to say, oh, actually, no, I'd want you to, to do a bit more work in this area. And they'll prefer yeah. that than you putting cool. in several yeah. more hours on an, a different area. Exactly. Yeah, nice. Um, I see we're uh, running out of time here. So I'm just wondering, do you have any last uh, thoughts? I guess one thing um, that I feel like I've learned over my career is uh, to be more ambitious. And I, I mean, I think this is something that you probably don't need to hear, but um, I feel like when I first started my career, I was quite diffident about what types of things I would be able to do and achieve. And so when I was trying to set up a charity, it really felt to me like... Uh, you know, who am I to think that I'm capable of setting up a charity and probably any idea I have, someone else will have already had. And probably I need someone with, you know, a bunch of years experience in how running organizations work to set something up. And mm. it just turned out to be much easier than that. It turned out that, you know, you can just as an individual PhD student decide to set up a charity and then go out there and do it. Um, and I kind of went into it thinking that, well, you know, this is probably only going to be around for, for six months or so because nine out of 10 startups fail and this particular one's run by philosophy students. So we've got no hope. Um, and a decade later, Center for Effective Altruism is doing great and 80,000 Hours is doing great. And, um, and I feel like I've seen quite a few of these kinds of things over time one one of my classmates in in philosophy said during my phd i'm gonna write a best-selling book and i was like sure you will mate that that never works out and then will wrote doing good better and now it turns out it is in fact a bestseller so uh yeah a thing i've i've learned is like it's it's definitely not always going to work out you want to have a safety net you want to apply for things you'll definitely get but also it is actually worth um seeing like thinking through your options and aiming high and um, just seeing where that takes you. Thank you. Amazing. This has been really valuable, Michelle. Thank, Thank you so you. much. Thank you. It was a lovely chat to you. Awesome.